Welcome to Allison's Wonderland. I'm your host, Allison Packard. Join us as we journey through the looking glass and down the rabbit hole into the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Hey, do a girl a favor and please subscribe to this podcast and go on iTunes and leave us a good review. If you like the show, please help spread the word. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. Hey guys, what is up? Happy Wonderland Wednesday. Are you ready to do this? Oh my God, I'm so excited for tonight's show. It's been, it's been a while. I know we were off last week. I was in Dublin. I was a bit of a whirlwind trip. It was my birthday and I so appreciated all the amazing love that you guys sent me, the videos, the pictures. That was so awesome and I felt so loved. So thank you everybody that wished me a happy birthday last week. I appreciate it. And tonight is a very special show because our guest is Tom Ruger, animation legend. Been working in animation for over four decades as a writer, a producer, a show creator, um, an executive producer, a composer, you name it, he's had his fingers in that pot. And Tom is super inspiring to me. We originally had him scheduled, I think about five weeks ago and had to reschedule. So today's the big day and I'm so excited. I wanna say, hey, thank you to everyone that's joining in live. Peyton, hey, Nika, so good to see you on here. Baku, nice to see you. Chris Brown, always appreciate your support. Hey, Sebastian, thank you for the birthday love. Blue Eyes, how's it going? Alex, how are you? Hunter, Sam, thanks for joining. Hey, Jeffrey, how's it going? So happy to see all you guys on here. Now, as you guys know, this is a, a reschedule. So we're so lucky that Tom is able to come back on the show. And let me see if he's on here. No, not quite yet. I'm going to be on. Oh, Hunter, that is too sweet. Debbie, how's it going? Are we talking cartoons tonight? We're talking a bunch of cartoons tonight. So I'm so excited. Hey, Tamar, it's so good to see you. So good to see your faces. Let me just see if Tom is here. He's here yet. Maybe I should have texted, but that's what iPads are for. How are you guys? Why don't you go ahead and type one word in and let me know how you're doing. How are you feeling tonight? Are you happy? Are you glad that we're all back on again? It's so funny. Hunter, that you just said, Sam, I am. Peyton, thank you. You said, Sam, I am. And actually, Tom has, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but a collaboration that's a bit of an ode to Dr. Seuss that he did with Mark Hamill called Will You Wear a Mask? And it's like an audio book thing. So you guys should check that out. And uh, yeah. I know I'm also so glad because that was one of the shows I was really looking forward to. When I was growing up, he did so many of my favorite shows. Tiny Toons Adventures was definitely one of my favorite shows, Animaniacs. And then Disney 7D is totally solid. There's so many amazing shows that he's been a part of. So we're gonna dive into the process of creativity and, and what it is working on so many different avenues and aspects of animation. A lot of people focus on one particular area, whether that's producing or whether that's writing. And Tom has really reminds me a bit of Walt Disney in the way that he has brought forth so much content and so much good vibes to the world. So Tom, I see that you are here. Let's go ahead and do this. You guys put your hands together. Here. 
And now it's going to zoom way in. Do you guys like my flowers, by the way? Hi! Hey, How Allison. are you? Just great. Yourself? So good. I'm so excited for this interview. Thank you for joining us. I'm very excited to be here. And uh, hello, everyone out there. And isn't she a great host? <laughs> la, 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 la. I played a little, the Pinky in the Brain theme song is my music bed, so. Very Hopefully nice. I don't get sued. Just no, <laughs> we usually edit that out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so good to see you. How was your day? Very good, busy. Yeah, we're, we were, my wife and I went to a, on a trip to National Park, so we're still recovering from the hiking, but it, it's been great. Well, at least you're both alive. It's amazing because I'm also like a huge fan of the National Parks and just being out in nature. And I was wondering, is that something that's really important to you guys? We hike a lot and we went on some hikes that I will never go on again. And <laughs> I, I cursed the mountains that made those hikes happen. But uh, we got to the top and then I cursed them and then I went down. Uh, they were very difficult. But everyone, please make sure you see the Grand Tetons in your lifetime. They're fantastic. You see the geysers in Yellowstone, incredible. Yeah, and actually, if you're coming from L.A., Avalo has $45 one-way flights that we got up on. Oh, you can't beat that. <laughs> Yay. It's so good to have you here. I'm sure your schedule keeps you super busy, so I appreciate you carving out time for this interview. It's a pleasure. And you're busy in the voiceover world. And boy, I've met a lot of great actors over the years, and we could maybe talk about some of them at some point. Well, we had Rob Paulson on the show a couple months ago. Yep. He's, that was really he's fun. Great. He's one of the greats uh, of our time, for sure. I started years ago, and I, I worked with Dawes Butler and Don Messick and uh, some of those other great voices from the past. What was I grew up with Messick and, and Butler doing uh, Yogi, Huck, Quick Draw, all those characters and Boo Boo, and that was a dream come true. Uh, John Luton and I were given the assignment at Hanna-Barbera to do something called the Yogi's Treasure Hunt, and we piled it with all those characters and Top Cap and Arnold Stang and, and Dastardly uh, with Paul Winchell. And, and our office was right at the, in reception, it was right next to reception, so all the actors, whenever they were coming in Hanna-Barbera, they would go right by our office. And so we would flag them down sometimes and say, hey, good to see you. We just wrote the script that you're going to do it. And Dawes and Don and Paul Winchell on occasion, after the sessions, they would come in and they would critique our work and they would give us suggestions, <laughs> tweak the characters, because Messick and Dawes knew the characters backwards and forwards. So uh, a lot of fun. So they even knew the characters better than you guys. <laughs> oh, definitely. They've been living with those characters for 20 years while we were, we watched children. them when we were children, but yeah. And so what were you like as a kid? Um, were you a huge animation nerd like most of us here? Yeah, I would lay down on the carpet with a pad in front of me, <laughs> and crayon pencils, and watch you know, the TV right there. And so I would draw the characters as they were on there. And really where I, I got really interested. So I would draw Huck and Yogi and all those characters, some Disney characters when they were on. And my parents saw that I was busy with this, but they thought I was tracing it, and I wasn't. I said, you didn't trace that? No, 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 I just saw it from on, on TV. So they kept giving me more pads and more crayons. And you grew up in Jersey, right? I did. I did. Metuchen, New Jersey. Uh, was, East Coast was, represent! <laughs> yeah, and, and 
it was a, a great childhood. I had two older brothers. We had great neighbors. Our neighborhood was all of our generation. So we, we would play softball and basketball and, and football. No matter what the season was, we had something to do. And yeah, it was a wonderful small town experience. My parents lived in Metuchen from the day they were born to the day they died. So they were both oh, wow. there for dad for 80 years, my mom for 93. Were they high school sweethearts or something? They, they knew each other in kindergarten and they, <laughs> they were high school sweethearts. They were, yeah. And there, were, there, were, there was a guy came up to me and said, well, I hate your dad. And I said, why do you hate him? Well, I, he was one of the guys that grew up. He dated your mother and I really liked her. And, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So it sounds like you grew up in a family with a lot of love and support. Yeah, my, and my dad had a great sense of humor and my mom was very encouraging for all to pursue my artistic bent. I think my dad thought I should go into law or something to that effect. You know, <laughs> this cartoon business can't possibly work. And I, after college, I, I made a little film in college and after college, I went back to New Jersey and I worked for my brother in construction and I kept falling off roofs because I, I'd be carrying shingles up the ladder and walking, and I'd be thinking about cartoon stuff in my head, and I'd walk up the roof, and, it, <laughs> and the gravity didn't work like it does in cartoons. I got really messed up one time. I fell on a whole bunch of pots, and I realized that the next day I realized I got to get a car and drive to Los Angeles and try to get a gig out there. Did any of those gags work their way into your cartoons, like guy roofing on ladder? Oh, as all the Bugs Bunny cartoons, Elmer walks, runs off the cliff and hangs there a beat. Yeah. No, I did not hang a beat at all. So yeah, I'll, but all, I, I will tell you this, that everything I learned and, and grew up with and absorbed from my childhood through the high school years, through the college years, there are elements of all of those uh, moments that are in a lot of the cartoons that I've been involved with. I, I had a song that I wrote for Russian literature. I was taking a Russian literature class in, in senior year in high school. <laughs> and, and I used the poem that I wrote in high school. I wrote that, it was called Russian Names of a Game. There's a first and a last and a middle name. Giving the first name is the mama's trail, like Boris, Alexander, or Fyodor. Last name comes from the family, like Bushkin, Bavarava, Porphyry. With the middle name, here comes the fun. The papa gives his last name to the son, his first name to the son. He then adds an Ovis or a Yivich to the end. Here's an example so you'll comprehend. The kid, the pop, Papa's name is son of, now here's the switch. The kid's middle name is the son of Ovich. So I wrote that <laughs> in high school. And as you can see, some things don't, you, you never forget. So then I was doing, years later, I was doing Road Rovers and I had Kevin Michael Richardson playing this Russian wolfhound, a Russian a husky and, and someone, an, an, an interrogator asks him his name, and he goes through that whole thing. Uh -huh. he, he does a poem, and we it aired once, and it, parents complained about the son of a bitch at the end, and that it was edited. <laughs> did you give your high school self residuals on that? You were like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope I did. That's uh, amazing. So think about that you were like working at that level in high school, I and mean, your teachers must have just been blown away. Oh, I think they were just annoyed by me a lot. We uh, did in high school, we, uh, a couple pals of mine, Alan Vanuk and Kenny Hollenbeck, and I, we would make for, for, rather than write essays, 
we would do we would create radio plays where we would do voices as and we one time we actually senior year we actually made a film in sync with sound and dialogue and everything we uh, we got the, the Jewish community center in town let us use the uh, their stage uh, on um, Friday afternoon we created the tonight show with uh, with the guests from America they were great characters from American literature and so we made that film I have that somewhere. I've never been able to sync it up as well. But I did, in college, we studied so many different things, but Paradise Lost by uh, Milton. And on that one, I, oh, yeah. rather than know the book well, which was impossible, it was tough, <laughs> I, I wrote for my essay, for my final paper on that, I, I wrote, I turned it into a, a Hollywood musical. No turned, way. Yeah. And, and I use California, here I come, as a purgatory, here we come, land of hate and devil's glum, where fires fire into the night, where boulders will smolder, sizzling bright. God in his cruel politics sends us to the river sticks. Flames will be our crucifix, so purgatory, here we come. Oh, my and, God. <laughs> but again, things stuck in your head that I use then uh, for Animaniacs, where they go to see Satan, uh, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, and they sing him that song. <laughs> so, nothing is wasted. Nothing. Nothing. Wow. Word to the wise. Start creating early and keep at it. And then I, actually tell, I tell my kids and I tell anyone, if you have ideas, write them down now. And, and maybe you don't do them, maybe you don't expand on them, but do write them down and have a book with all your thoughts like that in them. And because I'm constantly going back to things that I haven't completed, that yeah, I think, yeah. this is really pretty good. I should try to wrap this up, yeah. And so when you, go to when you went to college, did you try to get a de degree in animation or was that even a thing or? Right, I, I went to a place called Dartmouth College and they, it was a, you know, a BA, a bachelor's degree, and it was, a, it, you learn a lot about a lot of different things, but I was an English major because they didn't have a film uh, degree. They had a film studies program, so I, I used that. And you made a movie when you were there, Platypus Duck? Uh, you can see that online. I think it might be on my, I have uh, Your blog? A YouTube, I have a YouTube thing called Cartoonatics, and I think you can find it there. And it's 11 minutes, and it's, it's not the greatest print. And it's just, I, I, there was a grant being offered, you know, like $3,000 to help finance a movie. I probably needed about 50. And I did it for three, and uh, <laughs> it took me two years, and it ruined my life for two years. <laughs> so I don't really recommend everyone to say, I'm going to make an 11-minute cartoon that's going to be really well animated. It's honestly just a tremendous amount of work. And uh, so be careful. Make short things to show off your skills and then you know, get a job and have someone pay you more to make a, a, an opus. It's, it's, the technology has shifted so it's so much easier now. Wouldn't it be just for someone to make an 11 minute in flash or yes. even I, a stop motion or something? I think you could. This was like uh, a lot of cell animation and painting and, wow. and thinking and oh my God. And, how did you learn how to do that? I, I, if you see it, you'll see. I didn't. I didn't learn. How to do it. <laughs> it, this is not right because there's there are things that you can say. Why isn't that quite working? Because I learned when I went to Hanna Barbera a few years later is that you, you do well. I should have known this. You do the extremes. You do the gestures. If the guy's pitching the ball, you you do the the, the way back, hold back, and then 
then the next drawing is probably that the animator is doing is the, the release of the ball. And then the assistant animator is doing all these in-betweens. Yeah. So I was doing, unfortunately, I was doing this drawing and then this drawing and this drawing and this drawing. And that's, that slows up your animation. That's going to make it kind of languid. You lose the snap when you're doing it in order like that. Interesting. Yeah, the timing doesn't work out. Again, when I went to Hanna-Barbera after college, that's really where I learned. And they were, how about that? I don't know if that's true nowadays uh, for animation studios to hire people that really don't know hardly anything. And that was me. Um, of course, out here now, we have a lot of people that have gone to CalArts and they do know a lot. So that's, that's very exciting. And, and so you were back in Jersey, falling off roofs. Yes. And how did you transition? How did you get out here? Did you come out with a job or uh, no. did you figure it out when you got here? I wanted to get a job. I heard that Bakshi was making Lord of the Rings. And if, if those of you who remember back then, he made a version of Lord of the Rings that was almost all rotoscoped. And it was pretty, it wasn't great. Uh, <laughs> but... I thought there were still openings. So I got a car, I drove out here in three days, and I, I called a fact sheet and they said, drop off your portfolio. And they, I got there and they said, well, Ralph's gone for two weeks, so he can't get to it till then. So I'm like, oh my God. And I really didn't have two weeks of money on me. Uh, so I started calling, I called up Chuck Jones, I called up every studio I could find, all you know, the different studios. So I called up Hanna-Barbera and they said, who would you like to speak with? And I said, and I, you know, I didn't know anyone. I said, Bill Hanna. And, and so they connect me to Bill Hanna's office. And they said, well, he's not in at the moment. Uh, can I take a message? And I said, well, I'm Tom Ruger. I'm from New Jersey. I'm an animator. I lied. And uh, I'm, I'm looking for work. And he said, let me get your number. If he wants to talk to you, he'll call you back. And I was in a phone booth outside of my motel on Sunset Boulevard. Oh, my God. Which, and we didn't have, I didn't have a phone in the room. And the room's and it's a phone booth that is completely dominated by uh, what? How do we say that? W women who of the night. Women of the night. I'll say that. Okay. Uh, and they're like banging on. The hey, hurry it up! I'm expecting a call. So I give them. I give Hannah's secretary the phone number of the booth, and I said, "Oh, okay." But then I leave the booth and I said, "Listen, there's a call. It could come in, so I'll be over in like room 17." And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So an hour later, on room 17, and it's one of these <laughs> uh, generous uh, women, and she said, are you Ruger? And I said, yeah, I am. Oh, there's a phone call for you. Hurry up. And I'm expecting a call. <laughs> so I rush out to the booth. And uh, yes, this is Tom. And hold for Bill Hanna. And, <laughs> and he gets on the line. I said, yeah, it's Ruger. I said, yes, sir. And get right over here. We're really busy. And he hangs up. He didn't, give, he didn't even give me the address. He says, get right over here. We're really busy. That was it. Well, he, he thought, wow, they, he's got such a nice secretary. I know. What a great secretary. He's got someone answering his phones. This guy must be. And yeah, she got me right away. So I drove. I got lost, but I drove over to Hanna-Barbera. But I left my portfolio at Bakshi's. So all I had was a set of slides. So Bill oh. had holding these slides up against the window, got up by the sun. What the hell is that? That's a drawing of a dog. Not a draw. It's not a dog where I come from. Anyway, he gave me a one month trial period. And that's how I got my start in the business. He, 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 and I survived it. 
So like entry level, but paid job? Yeah, I was in betweening on uh, the first day, I was in betweening on a show called, called the Godzilla Power Hour. And we were drawing Godzilla with like pencils that were this thick, their, their lead was like this thick because the Godzilla outline needed to be really thick. And, and they didn't Xerox well because the Xerox breaks down when the black line is so thick, so they had to ink it. It was a mess. Oh, my but, God. Or we could go to the inserts on the show and be like, this, show an example. It'd be awesome. Right. Well, there's uh, someone that looks like you in that show called Jana of the Jungle, uh, which actually very much like you. Oh, and yeah. uh, that was the fun part of the show. You said, can I have a Jana of the Jungle sequence? Because there's this beautiful running through the jungle and said, you got Godzilla. <laughs> So anyone that had a life drawing class, and I had a couple, they said, have you had a life drawing? Yeah. All right, you can do some job. <laughs> wow, that's pretty amazing. Was Ginny McSwain the receptionist then, or? No, I think, no, was she already in uh, voiceover? She was party? already directing at that point? I don't think she was directing. I think she might have been Gordon Hunt's assistant at that point. Oh, that's so funny. Wow. And so from there, you know, obviously you were working on a lot of shows that were pre-existing. How do you, how did you come into shows that, that were already ongoing shows like Scooby-Doo? And, and then how did you learn to adapt to their pre-existing production? Yeah, Was good. that difficult? Yeah, I, uh, I like I, my sample piece to get into filmation for writing was a, was a dog cartoon I wrote about a suicidal dog whose girlfriend broke up with him and his friend, another dog, is, uh, tries to save him from each of his suicide attempts and gets creamed in the bargain. So it's like a, almost a reverse Wile E. Coyote where rather than catching, he's trying to save. And so that was my, my, my intro for writing at Filmation. They said, well, we can't really do this cartoon, Tom, because it's about suicide. <laughs> And we don't think the kids will really get into that. And, and not even crossed your mind. It was funny though, because he was you know, just getting creamed in it. And then he, the next scene, he was fine, I guess. Was it funny? I think, because the little guy, the, it was called Pitts and his pal. And Pitts was always, I love the dog stuff. So when I went to Hanna-Barbera, when they had a Huck, Huckleberry Hound assignment, or they had uh, pound puppies or uh, Scooby, they tend to throw the dogs at me. And, but my first week, at Hanna-Barbera, the second time when I'm now in the writing department working under Joe Barbera and Margaret Lesh, I was roomed, rooming with a guy named Hank Saroy, a great guy. He ultimately was the producer on the original Muppet Babies, very talented. Ah. And he was the Scooby-Doo story editor. And I was, and the place was so busy, I was rooming with him and he said, how would you like to be the Scooby-Doo story editor? And I said, what do you mean? You're the, you're the story editor. Said, yeah, but I can't do it. I'm going out of my mind. I got to do something else. And I, I've never seen Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and this was 1982, and I still had, he'd been on for 13 years. And I, but I just just was out of my. This wasn't what I was doing. Window. I was, I was serious with uh, the Warner Brothers, the Looney Tunes, and so I took home every uh, Scooby-Doo. They were three-quarter-inch, big clunky things, big three-quarter-inch machine, and took it home that weekend. Watched every Scooby-Doo I could find, took notes. And on Monday, I became the Scooby-Doo story editor without ever having... That's notes. Isn't that... Well, 
that's proof, I, I think. Talk about timing and luck and, and good fortune and just like right place. Here I'm rooming with the guy that is the story editor. And unlike today where the story editor of Scooby-Doo is probably very happy being the story editor, he's like, no, I got to do something else. <laughs> wow. Amazing. So, yeah, so I was- Jinkies. <laughs> yeah, Jinkies is right. <laughs> Jinkies, that's a crazy story. But it's, it's always that thing of you, you had to be talented to get the luck came about, but you had to be talented to keep the job. So, Well, yes, but the luck is so important. And it's just also reading the room. When I went to Hanna-Barbera for an interview for this position, because they needed writers, I was escorted into, this is, I had met Bill Hanna the first time. Now this is for writing, so I'm escorted into Joe Barbera. And he's sitting there, and he's truly uh, Don Corleone. He's in a dark room. He's wearing a beautiful uh, suit. Yeah, yeah, you almost want me to kiss his ring. So you sit down. Hi, hi Mr. <laughs> Barbera. Call me Joe. And okay, Joe. And you know, I, so I hear that you want to uh, maybe do some writing here. So I said, well, let me tell you about this cartoon I'm working on. And Joe Barbera proceeds to tell me for a half an hour a detailed, like shot by shot, frame by frame story about Yogi Bear in Jellystone Park. And it sounds familiar. The story sounds familiar. But I'm listening to it. And then, so then this school bus of kids comes by. And all the little kids look out the window and they go, look at the bears, look at the bears, look at the bears. And uh, Yogi's like, hey, boo-boo, I can't stand this any longer. I got to get out of here. Oh, I can't stand these kids looking at me. And look at the bears, look at the bears. So he tells me, and it's a half an hour, and I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah. And at the end of it, he says, so what do you think? What do you think about it? What do you think about this? I said, that's good. It's funny. I said, okay, you're hired. <laughs> I don't know. That's, what, that's reading the room. I, if I had said that was stupid, or if I had said, I've heard it before, maybe something else. But I went along with it. I chuckled, and but I stayed there for uh, a, a decade. And you worked on Snorks, too, right? <laughs> Narcs, yeah, all star. Uh, he had the star on his chest. All star. Aww, yeah. And, uh, that was very Smurfy. Very Smurfy, but uh, yeah, followed Smurfs. I think on Saturday mornings. I remember that from when I was underwater. Smurfs. Underwater Smurfs. Yeah. Yeah, and, oh, and your first, if I if I'm correct, your first producing credit was a pup named Scooby Doo. Is that right? Yeah, I did associate producer on Thirteen Ghosts, where Mitch Bauer was the producer, and I helped. But yeah, my the First one, the first show that I really developed as an original was A Putt Named Scooby-Doo. And yeah. yeah. My son and I were just watching the first episode today. A bicycle built for Boo. Hey guys, this is Allison Packard. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to let you know that if you like the show, please, please, please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. It was so fun. Yeah, I was... There, there was, yeah. So when you came into that show, the Scooby-Doo had already been airing for 20 years. How did you, did they approach you with this idea or did you approach them with this idea of kind of younging them down and doing, I guess, the prequel? Would you call it a prequel? <laughs> yeah, we had, 
we had been making, I had been working for ABC for a number of years and I had, I think I just worked on pound puppies for them. They liked me and we, I liked them. And Scooby had been off for a year, which was like, Hanna-Barbera was not pleased about Scooby. And they were encouraging me to, you know, get something else going on Scooby. And ABC was interested. So I worked with Scott Geralds and Alfred Gimeno to come up with some younger designs. And we sold it on really the designs and the idea that these kids came together. They're always concerned about kid relatability uh, back then on the networks. Uh, that was one of the reasons they had a guy named, a character named Slim Slam added to the team on the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. They wanted a kid. So rather than go through that ordeal again, I said, this is, let's just make them kids and then we'll, they won't have any problems. So I thought that show was a lot of fun. It was. Uh, it had a lot of Tex Avery type uh, wild takes with her eyes popping out, which I, I loved that. And we had a, a great crew working on it. And did you feel at any point that there was like a turning point in your career? And if so, what was it? It was right around then. Uh, yeah. So I was with uh, a pup named Scooby-Doo where I was given sort of the keys to the car and allowed to drive Scooby off a cliff. And it was successful and the show had good ratings. People liked it. And it was the first Scooby show, the first iteration of Scooby that was nominated for an Emmy. Boom! Boom. So I was feeling, oh, I'm something else, huh? So now, now my boss, Anna Barbara, Jean McCurdy had left at that point. She was working at Warner Brothers. And she, one day she called up and said, can you send me a copy of uh, your favorite Scooby, the one you think is best? So I did. I didn't know what she wanted it for. And I was busy with stuff. I go, yeah, sure. Her. And so she comes back to me a few days later. I meet her at some restaurant in Burbank at 6 p.m. She said, I showed it to Steven Spielberg. And I was like, what are you talking about? What? What? I showed it to Steven Spielberg and we at Warner Brothers, Bob Daly, Terry Samuel and I met with Steven and he wants to do something called Tiny Tunes. And I suggested you as the producer and I showed him the tape and he said, yeah, that'll, that sounds good. Let's try him. So that's what, and then, so they said, so will you quit Hanna-Barbera to come do this with Steven? And uh, I said, if they'll let me out, yeah. And they did. What did you, what were, what was going through your mind at that time? Do you remember how, how like you were feeling about that? I was very excited. I was yeah. totally jazzed. Then a week later, I'm going to have my first meeting with Steven. And I spent the whole week basically creating Tiny Tune because he said it's Tiny Tunes, but that was it. We, we don't, it, it couldn't be the children of the Looney Tunes because there are too many licensees of Looney Tunes, and it would. This is true. Warner Brothers didn't want to share the licensees of Looney Tunes with Steven, because Tiny Tunes was a split down the middle deal. Half goes to Steven, half goes to Warner Brothers. They, it needed to be characters that were not related to the Looney Tunes. I but, totally always thought they were. <laughs> yeah, but they're basically miniature versions of them. But if you'll notice, they never say, oh, you're my dad or you're my uncle. Or, it's just, they're the teachers at Acme University. So, ah. so I spent the week coming up with Acme University and all the different aspects and the characters and their names, which the names were a nightmare because legal, I got involved in all the names. And 
So I was ready to go pitch this thing to Mr. Spielberg. And I remember it was like 10 a.m. and I had to leave. And the meeting was at 11 a.m. across town. And I was at home and my wife and I literally, I think what you'd call this, like, I had a nervous breakdown. I'm like, wait a minute. I had this job at Hanna-Barbera. It was really good. I was, I was popular. They liked me. And I just quit it to go work with Spielberg. But what if he hates my guts? And well, what have I done? And I realized, oh, what have I done? And, <laughs> but my wife, thankfully, she said, just you know, chill and just tell him about your favorite cartoons. And I, I don't know why that worked, but it really did. And I did. I went to the meeting and I told him about my favorite cartoons, which were the Looney Tunes of the past. I, I loved all Bugs, Daffy, Porky. I loved those cartoons growing up. I love them now. I, I was trying to emulate them wherever I could. So I did. I went into the meeting. I said, all right, you know, you Tiny Toon Adventures. You Tiny Toons, they didn't call it Adventures. And I said, we're going to try and do our very best to make more seven-minute shorts in the tradition of the zaniness and the irreverence of the Looney Tunes. And I talked about the characters that I liked and, you know, why they were great. And, and he was totally, he was just like, he was like a kid. Yeah, those are my favorite cartoons too. And yeah, remember when, oh, the big music, we got to use the big music. So it really, it was, a, we mind melded right there. And it was a great meeting. Wow. And it was originally Tiny Toons, like T-U-N. Well, the first picture that was Mitch Shower, the guy that had produced uh, 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, drew for, before I ever showed up, a, a picture of who would become Buster Bunny. And it was Tiny T-U-N-E-S, and which goes with Looney Tunes. That's how they spell it, T-U-N-E-S, too. But by then, Stephen had created Toontown, so T-O-N took over. So it was called Tiny Tunes, which we loved. And, but then Stephen got it in his head that he wanted the show to be adventures. He, he, he thought, I think it'd be better if we call it Tiny Toon Adventures because then the kids will think it's adventures, just not a bunch of nonsense. And, okay. <laughs> it happened that way. Amazing. Amazing. And so then, so Tiny Toons goes on to become a huge success. I'm sorry? It worked out. Yes, it, you, could, you could say it worked out. And then how did you conceive the idea for Animaniacs? How did that show come about? We had the success with Tiny Toons. McCurdy and Spielberg came to me after it was clear Tiny Toons was a hit. And they said, okay, what's next? And Just like in Animaniacs, right? <laughs> I, I had not been thinking about what's next much. I really hadn't. I just knew that for all of us, for all the people that were on it, Rich Aarons and Sherry Stoner and a lot of the other people, we were about cooked on Tiny Toons. We had made a lot of them. And we, already, we had made the second season, so we were close to 100 of those, and we wanted to do something new. And Steven said, well, why don't we just do a spinoff of Tiny Toons while the duck show? And I said, oh, no, please, not that. We don't, I don't want to do it. I asked him to do The two hours of torture in college, you were like, never again. No more ducks, please, no more ducks. <laughs> And, and that's right. And yeah, it really does take a long time and all this stuff. So I had some new ideas and a bunch of different, and we had a great crew of creative people to come up with great stuff. So let us come up with a, a brand new show, which we'll call Animaniacs. 
And, and he said, it has to have a marquee name. And uh, I said, well, you're the marquee name. Uh, Steven Spielberg Presents, that's on the marquee. He said, no, no, the show itself has to have a marquee name or I, I want to go with Plucky Duck. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so we have these great ideas, but we don't have a marquee name. So I'm walking across the lot a few days later, and there's this water tower on the lot with the WB logo on it. And I had uh, what I like to call a cartoon epiphany. Ah, what does that but, look like? <laughs> yeah, it's like? So the marquee, I see the, the water tower is a marquee. It has the WB on it. And some, suddenly these things fell into place where the, the, the lead characters, the zany characters that we wanted to star in the show, I could have them living in the water tower and they can be called the Warner Brothers and ultimately the Warner Sisters. <laughs> and and that, so we went to the Warner Brothers estate and we got them to okay us using the rights to the Warner Brothers family name. And uh, then we went to Steve and we said, and I said, okay, here's your marquee and it's the water tower. And you know, I had artwork and we opened up the water tower and they're living inside. And he laughed and he appreciated the fact that I'd gone to so much trouble to give him his marquee name. And so he, he completely bought it. Yeah, like. And then, you're... yeah, it, it definitely was uh, satisfying. But we did pitch a whole batch of things to Stephen. Uh, we went to his house on a Saturday morning, Sherry and Deanna and Rich Aarons and Alfred Gimeno and I. And we had all the characters, we had like stand-up that are just like, like pretty good sized stand-ups. And so we had a bunch of franchises, including Slappy and Skippy and Pinky and the Brain of the, the Warner, uh, Mindy and Buttons, um, and some others that were cut. They didn't make the cut. But the Pinky and the Brain pitch, I, I literally, this is all I said, these are lad mice. This guy's really smart. This guy's an idiot. And they, they're planning every night to take over the world. That's their bit. That's what they're doing every night. And their main, and their theme song is this. And so then I sang the theme song, but I had not, we didn't have the music yet. So I sang it, and it's the same lyrics as the ultimate theme song, but I sang it to the tune of Singing in the Rain, which it's a what? Pinky in the Brain. That's Pinky in the Brain. Uh, one is a genius, the other's insane. They're laboratory mice. Their genes have been spiced, the pinky and the brain. There you go. And he, he was just like this. He said, sold. That was his reaction, sold. Which you, you love. What a legendary story. You've lived such a brilliant life. I feel like we could talk for hours. Actually, this is a throwback, but our very, very first, the very first episode of this show I ever did, this started as a web series in 2009. Our, my wow. very first interview was Earl Cress. Oh, I love Earl Cress. Now, Earl Cress, Yogi's Treasure Hunt. I worked with Earl Cress. He did a lot of Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, Tiny Toons. Great guy. Beautiful That's Earl Cress. Yeah. So um, it didn't continue. It started and stopped. So this is the reboot version, much like oh. uh, many of the reboots you've experienced. You've been doing that for 12 years then, huh? Yes, mostly off. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> but we're on. Hey, if I had never stopped, I'd probably be like a real famous YouTuber by now, guys. Keep it going. <laughs> uh, just tell us if you have a moment about your trip to Dublin. 
Oh my God. Uh, it was amazing. So there's a, an event out there called the VO Euro Retreat. And it's for a select group of voice actors that are really looking to take their career to the next level. And Daniel Ross was going to be, he's a, a comrade of mine. He was going to speak on character animation of video games and had to unfortunately cancel at the last minute. I had recently um, done a podcast with the host and they they reached out to me about coming in last minute to fill Daniel's very big Donald shaped shoes. So, <laughs> so I said yes and had to put some things on hold, but it was yes to a great adventure. And we were basically staying in this like castle. It's not a castle because a castle has turrets. This oh, does yeah. not have turrets, but it was like being in the beasts like mansion. Like they had all the urns from Ming, Ming Dynasty urns and like the paintings that were like, is that a real? Put you up? Yeah, that's where the whole thing was. Oh. At this place called the, the K Club in Kildare, uh, which is where they had the Ryder Cup 92 or some 82 yeah. or something. Yeah. So it was, it, whoop, got a little cricket there. So it was an amazing experience. Yeah. And how, now did you have to give uh, a presentation or a speech or answer questions or what? Yeah, um, I did three presentations um, doing a, a general talk about character acting uh, techniques for finding character, different acting techniques, a general overview about the difference between animation VO versus video game VO, and nice. uh, two and a half hours. Oh, and everybody there was fully vaxxed, which that's uh, great. was cool. Appreciate well, that's great. Oh, yeah. This is probably a good opportunity to talk about your collaboration with Mark Hamill. You did. The, can you tell us about the Will You Wear a Mask project? Sure. Will You Wear a Mask. I, I wrote it. I finished it like August last year. And this was when people were, this was fairly early in the Will I Wear a Mask or Not. And so I, I put it on online as a little book, kind of like a Kindle book or something. And my friend over at Disney, Emily Hart, called me and said, you need to get someone to record this and put it online so people can enjoy it as a, an easy watching, listening experience. And I, I said, you're right, Emily. And I thought, Mark, Mark Hamill. <laughs> For some reason, I thought Mark Hamill could handle the, the three or four voices that are involved. And he has, he has authority, but he also has a sense of fun. I sent it to Mark because he had done some Batman stuff for us years ago. And he said, oh, Tommy, you know, you got to go through my agent. Come on, no, don't. And I said, you're right, Mark. I'm sorry. I'll go to the agent. And then five minutes later, he calls me back and says, no, I just read it. Yeah, we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he calls his agent and says, Let, let's make this happen. And uh, everybody involved in this, including Mark Kondracki, who has a voiceover at a studio in Burbank, and Mark and Kelly Ward, who directed, everybody did it for gratis. So oh, I love Kelly Ward. Oh, Kelly, yeah, he's great. Yeah, he thinks you're great too. Anyway, it didn't cost a lot to make it. We put it out there, and everyone that we encouraged everyone to donate to uh, World Central Kitchen. And so anyone who bought the book, with all that money went to World Central Kitchen. Anyone who supported it, anyway. So asking if there's time for a sequel about vaccinations. <laughs> I know. What was it? I had the title too. Uh, 
Oh, something about it. You really need to get a shot a lot or something. Well, I know, gosh, this time is just flying by and I, I have so many questions that I'm so curious to pick your brain on, but I need to be selective. So let me just think. I am very curious about how becoming a father influenced your creativity and your work in animation. Because I know for me, it was a big shift, but I've also talked to people that say, it was, yeah, it was just part of my life. And was that a big shift for you or... I think it I think it was really crucial for me because I'm making program for children and what better the knowledge I learned of just being with these kids I'm from three sons so having three sons it felt like uh, you know deja vu all over and you have to get Kevin Michael Richardson on here and have him do his my three sons impressions really you do uh, I know. Make- I'm gonna reach out to him this week actually because he's my, maybe my favorite of all the guys uh, I've worked with. I, mean, I love Tress McNeil a lot, and but Kevin is such a wonderful man, and he'd be great to be on your show. Yeah, so the, the kids became my audience. I mean, my three sons, once they hit an age where uh, they could be articulate and react to the cartoons, I would know if it's working or not. I know that I, I did a Yogi's Treasure Hunt where I, I named the kids in the episode Nathan and Luke, my first two sons. And I had them battling, uh, our guys were battling something called the greed monster. And the character of Nate was, became the greed monster. And my son, I can tell you, hated that episode. <laughs> he hated it. <laughs> Dad! Yeah, why would you do that to me? And there was another time where Nathan was coming at Nate. I had Nate doing a voiceover on, for Skippy Squirrel. And Skippy, who was Slappy Squirrel's nephew, and he was in play, it was called Soccer Coast Coach Slappy. And Skippy kept getting hit in the head with the soccer ball and then wailing, just but it made him, his head was like a magnet for the soccer ball. So they put him in the goalie. So every time they, they kicked the ball, it would hit his head and he would, the, they wouldn't score. And he was the winner as the best goalie, but he would cry every time he got hit in the head. And, uh, <laughs> and so, started getting notes from my kids. I don't think so. I skip you to be there. So my eight-year-old son is giving the writer-producer notes on the character. And, Did you take uh, the notes? I said, I don't know how to get around this, Skippy. Can I? He didn't want to keep crying all the time. He wanted Skippy to have other reactions, which I think is pretty smart. Because at some point, you stop crying and uh, you take care of business. Yeah. Is it the rule of three? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so they did become a bigger part and your sons have all gone three, to work I, in. I dragged in all three of them. Luke played Big Fat Baby on Hysteria and <laughs> he and he played uh, on Animaniacs. He did the voice of something called The Flame and he, The Flame told stories about uh, the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere and things like that. And the youngest, Cody, became the voice of Bluebird. He sang The Twelve Days of Christmas. He actually came home one day, Cody did from school, and he said, I got a new song for you. I said, okay. And he starts singing the 12 days of Christmas on the 12th day of Christmas, but you look at to me, 12 turtle doves, 11 turtle doves, 10 turtle doves, nine turtle doves. <laughs> so five turtle doves, four turtle doves, three turtle doves. And one by chanting, King said, turtle dove. So <laughs> the next day I brought him to the studio and recorded it and we put that on Animaniac. And then just the completely wrapped last year rob and rob paulson and randy rogel were doing a show in new york and cody the bluebird back then he lives in new york he's a lawyer there 
And so he, he joined them on stage and he, he did, 20 years later, he sang that song to the audience. Yeah. What a magical life. What a magical <laughs> world. Aww. So I know a lot of people, uh, me for sure, are inspired by what you've created. And I just started reading this new book which is called Shipping Creative Work by Seth Godin. And a lot of people talk about this, about how if you wait for inspiration to strike, it, then you're too consistent to make progress in your, your field of creativity. So I'm curious to hear about your process. And obviously you've had these moments of divine inspiration as some of us that have that ability to tap into, but what is your process for shipping the work, um, especially in the beginning? Like, how did you begin that? I think my brother Pete told me something. I was in college and I wanted, out of a perfectionist, or I guess, I don't know, but I was having trouble shipping the work in college. I was having trouble uh, finishing the job. I, I started, I, I'm always, I'm great at starting. Stopping. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he said, hey, Sometimes you don't need an A. You don't need to get an A. Sometimes you know he's good. Sometimes you just gotta grab a C and just get it done. That was helpful because you want everything to be perfect and wonderful, but sometimes you just have to deliver. Disney, I think, when I was working on the Seven D, we had some very difficult, challenging deadlines, and sometimes we had to get it done. On Animaniacs, we had just luxurious deadlines. And now we could get this thing done. Maybe we're not done with that. We don't have to do it because we can move this one in. But my creative process is, I, I think it's important to exercise, to run and to hike or to get out there. Physically get your body moving. I think it's important to be in nature, to be out there. And honestly, I, I think most of my revelations or epiphanies have happened when I'm uh, out there on the trail because I'm because you're not necessarily thinking directly about the creative process but it's moving around in there it's having some time to gestate I think it's important when you're done with something you need to be able to put it down you need to have a, a good night's sleep before you return to it and I think it's always important when you have a draft that you think it's done to wait a couple days and read it then and, and probably make some fixes that's not a luxury that people often have in our business, but it would be great if, if we did. Creatively, I mean, I love cartoon characters, so I'm doodling all the time. So my creative process is often starts with drawing a funny looking character. And I have a character right now who's a deer. His name is Deadbeat Deer. And <laughs> I, haven't done, I haven't done much with him yet, but his goal is to have you, if you have a car above $60,000 in value, He's hanging out along Las Virginas Road near Malibu, and he's waiting for your car to come, and he's going to back out into traffic as you come, and you're going to hit him in the butt. And, and he is then going to guilt you into taking him home and taking care of him because he's sick of living out in the wild. Uh, <laughs> and he's going to mooch on you until you get rid of him. So that's, and that's because I hit a deer on Las Virginas many years ago, and it still bugs me. And I just remember the deer's butt. Uh, and the deer was not damaged, but my car was ruined. The deer's the deer butt is like smashing into the windshield. It doesn't break it, but it's just like, and he rolls off the car and he prances away. <laughs> and my car is wrecked. 
So there's part of the process. It's like taking life experiences and turning them into cartoons. Yeah, there's some. There's something else. Yeah, about stepping away from the work and being in flow in a different thing that gives you access to like unlocks the secrets within. I, yep. It's wise. For, well, how do you balance your work life? I'm sure it's different than it was 20 years ago, but throughout. The, 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 the wife who gave me the advice to just tell me about your favorite cartoons. So my balance life is divorce. What work and life? I don't think I balanced well. I think I worked probably way too hard or you know, too intensely. And I think only after I left Warner Brothers, then I was able. I had some time to chill, and I think life became a lot more tranquil then. But I was always a pretty intense dude there in my Warner days. Yeah, I, like how many hours a week would you work? I would. I'd get there at nine, and. I was still doing stuff at midnight at home. Not there. I would come home. But we had storyboards. Pardon me? Would you, were you exercising then? I was probably 30 pounds more than I am now, probably. Wow. So, no, that was, I was not exercising very much. And your wife now is a marathon runner. Is that right? She has run 15 marathons, but she's now done. She's not going to run marathons anymore. But she hikes a lot. Yeah, they're hard. I ran one and I was like, that was good. That was plenty. <laughs> it was fun too one, many. I did one. I, I did Disney World. Where did you do yours? In San Francisco. Oh, very good. Yeah. 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 I, I went to Disney World. There was a guy next to me dressed in a goofy. Uh, this showed how uh, ill equipped I was to run a marathon. Goofy in a full costume beat me. <laughs> That's a lot of weight. Yeah, that's a lot of weight. Well, I don't want to keep. I don't want to keep you because I know we're already at some time. Do you have a minute to take maybe one or two questions from the audience, or uh, do you, are yeah. you able to say anything about any of the current projects that you're working on? Or are you under NDA? Besides Deadbeat Deer, don't. Steal Besides Deadbeat Deer, don't steal Deadbeat Deer. Uh, hey, uh, get uh, your car! Come on, uh, get killing me in! Get over here! Very good. Hey, uh, my son's working on a, a new project that we'll have to be in touch on that. And he, he needs some voiceover help on that. How and cool. that's Luke. And I work with Luke on a daily basis on, on different cartoon things. I've got something I'm working on with Paul Dini. Of course, he created- He went to Emerson. Oh, yes, he did. That's right. that's right. And Harley Quinn is one of his creations. Anyway, so Paul and I have something cooking. I've got something with a famous movie star. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff. But until you sell it, you don't want to even talk about it. Oh, yeah. Call you? <laughs> oh, this was this, I was this was the pot oh. stirring. This is I was like cooking. I am trying. I am trying to stir the pot. Yes. Sorry, my my space work with the spoon was not very. It was oh, no. not. Yeah. Do you have any advice for aspiring animators or you know, people that are looking to break into the animation industry in any way? Yes, I would make samples of your work and post them. Honestly, there's Joanne Davidovich. Do you know her, Joanna Davidovich? Very talented artist. And, and Dave Alvarez, another very talented artist. And they post stuff on their Facebook. And I saw those things and I, I went to Disney. I said, we need them to design the characters for this show we're working on. And so Disney hired them. And while the show didn't get picked up, Disney became aware of these artists. These artists made a little money from Disney. So 
it's important to get samples of your work out there and in front of people because it can lead to good things. I know, let's see, uh, Natalie Palumbo is another example of someone who online presents some material and it, I get impressed by these things and then I want to help them get work. So that's what these older generation people like me need to do to help the younger generation along. And I hope we all do that. And I think as creatives, a lot of us think what is our natural superpower, whether that's drawing or voice acting, you don't realize that is not everybody's superpower, that everybody's so different. So you might think, oh, people don't want to see my silly little voices or they don't want to see my art or I'm going to wait till it's better or perfect because I'm judging it by some impossible standard. And I think, at least for me, and I've been seeing this with so others, is just don't wait for it to be perfect. Just put it out there and let somebody else judge what they think. And the I more you can than that, yeah. That's how you learn. And maybe you think, oh, this is perfect. And then they say, you know what, here's yeah. a reason. I remember I was pitching an idea about a character who tickles. I thought it was a delightful character. And he goes around tickling people. And it turns out that can be a trigger for some people. Even though I used to tickle my kids, there are some people out there that tickling led to bad things. There, there are many things that you need to learn. Like, so you put something out there, like, okay, it's a tickling character. And you think, oh, this is going to be beloved. And then you find out, oh, that can be a problem. You need to get your stuff out there. And it doesn't have to be perfect but you need to get some reaction then you can grow then you can grow yeah exactly it's like putting it out there and then you need the hunk of stone to carve before before you can make any art i we didn't really talk about hysteria and there was a quick question that came through can we talk about when you first had the idea of creating that show hysteria there was a movement for every station in the country to have something like five hours a week of educational children's programming. And I went to the folks at Warner Brothers and I said, let's do this. And we made up, you know, I, I always loved history and uh, Mark Seidenberg and Bob Doucette and the whole crew, we love history. So we made up a bunch of comic characters. We had famous people of the past like Napoleon or Abe Lincoln host, like Saturday Night Live hosting the different episodes. And when we first came out, there was a report on uh, children's programming. And the report stated that if every show made for kids was like hysteria, or like Warner Brothers hysteria, this would be instead of Pokemon and instead of, which I like Pokemon, but Power Rangers, if every show was like hysteria, our kids would be in better shape, they'd know more, and they would be better entertained. and. So this was like the headline of this government report on educational kids programming. It was like hysteria is really the example. Barbara Brogliotti, God bless her, was the head of Warner Brothers publicity. And she went to the publication and made them remove all mentions of hysteria from the article. And I was like devastated. And I said, why did you do this, Barbara? She said, it's from above. And, and what is coming from above. That Warner Brothers is not an educational entertainment company. We don't want to be known as one. Wow. Bad. 
Anyway, Hysteria was a wonderful experience for all involved, and I love Paul Rudd playing Nostradamus. I don't want to take up any more of your time. We've already gone over. I want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us and sharing your wisdom. It's been so enlightening and inspiring, so thank you so much. Allison, it's been wonderful. Thank you, and let's stay in touch. Definitely. And thank you guys for tuning in live. I'm going to go ahead and post the replay in case you missed any of it. And tune in next week. We have voice actress Olivia Hack is going to be on the show. You might know Olivia from Hey Arnold or she was Cindy Brady as well, which I didn't know actually for a long time since I've known her. Last Airbender, she's been on Star Trek. And so we are going to sit and have a cocktail actually and just chat. So it's going to be another really fun show. So thank you so much, Tom, and, and many blessings to you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Allison's Wonderland, where we explore the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a review. For more episodes of Allison's Wonderland, please visit us at www.allisonpacker.com. See you next week.